I spent a lot of time building out this putting physics model that felt very accurate. I ended up having a 3D model of hole seven of Pebble Beach. I took Tiger's four putts from the US Open, set them up so the flag's in the same spot, his starting putt was in the same spot, so you're like, I'm gonna stand in the shoes of Tiger and hit his putts. And I took a handheld controller that weighs like a couple ounces, and I found a bike clamp and I clamped it to my putter. So now I'm holding my putter in VR. When I move my putter, I see the virtual putter moving nice. exactly the same. I got my virtual golf ball right there. The first putt I set up was a 20 footer, a little bit uphill, a little left to right break. And I hit that first putt and I put it six inches past the hole, just like burn the edge on the left. I was like, wow, that felt exactly like hitting a putt. That moment was like, okay, you know what? We're just gonna pivot 100% into VR. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. And if you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show to learn about our upcoming episodes, listen to some previous ones, and to enter our latest golf giveaway contest. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Ryan Engel, who is the founder and CEO of Golf Plus. This is going to be a great conversation because I have known Ryan for almost four years now. I had the pleasure of meeting him at the PGA show when his company and product at the time was called Golf Scope. And they have come a long way. Crazy exciting stuff that's happened. As I see just on my social media stream a couple months ago, a Forbes article that his company now has a couple of names you may know out there. Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Mike Trout. I don't know if any of you heard those people. They're fairly well known, and they obviously believe in what Ryan is doing as the industry's leading virtual reality golf application. So I'm not going to spoil too much more. I'm getting super excited already because so much is blowing up for Ryan in 2022. That is going to be a great conversation. So to start, Ryan, great to see you again, and welcome, welcome back to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks, Colin. It's been yeah, it's been a while since our first podcast, but uh, I know a lot has has changed since then. So it's great to be back. It's good to see you. Your smile's even bigger, and I can even notice a, a little bit of gray in that beard now. So yeah, even though things are going great, obviously you haven't been just working nine to five to make this thing happen. So so hey, let's start with this. I always like to ask a couple of icebreaker questions here, Ryan. I may have asked you this one in the past. I don't think so though. So I always like to have that connectivity to golf, since you are so heavily involved with golf. You love golf. Tell us about your first golf experience in your life. How old are you? What was that like? And who invited you? Who got you started and introduced you to the game of golf? I'll answer this in a few different ways because I had a couple interactions with golf that got me started, but then one in particular where I kept playing afterwards. So my dad got me into golf. He's been a very average golfer, would just play casually for fun on the weekends. And of course, as a kid, we lived overseas. So we were actually living in Malawi in uh, Southern Africa, and there's not a lot to do there, as you could imagine. I think I was eight years old at the time, and my dad said he was going to play golf, and I think I just bugged him enough to convince him to bring me with him. He found some sawed-off persimmon woods and dinky little irons and a putter. I probably had three clubs total, and he brought me out there. I may have hit like 10 or 12 shots, and it was pretty clear to both of us that I didn't have the patience at the time for the game. So we put those clubs away for a while until I turned 10, and one of the most influential movies ever came out for my life, and that was Happy Gilmore. 
right? So <laughs> Happy Gilmore comes out when I'm in fifth grade. And right after I found the, the old cutoff clubs that my dad had got me when I was eight and went into the backyard and we had a pretty big field behind our backyard. So found a couple of his golf balls, went back there. And just for the next couple hours, I was running up to the ball, trying to hit it. And I remember hitting one shot where I just connected and the ball goes, I thought it went a mile. I talked to my dad about it later, like as an adult. And I was like, how far was that field anyway? Because I hit it over the field. Like, how far was that? And he was like, oh, I was probably like 50 yards. <laughs> so I thought it went 300. But that, that one moment, you know, that moment of making contact and seeing the ball actually get off the ground was so invigorating that I was like, oh, this is interesting. And we were living back in the States at that time. We ended up moving to South Africa. And my dad started playing golf more. So I was 11 now. He went out to play one afternoon and I asked if I could tag along and he was like, you could tag along, but look, as soon as I tell you to pick up, you just got to pick up. Just be respectful, be quiet. If you're going slow and I say pick up, then you got to pick up. Those are the only rules. Other than that, let's go have fun. It was a beautiful day. We went with my dad and one of his friends who was like really nice, patient guy, very good golfer. I didn't have to pick up once. I probably shot a hundred on the nine holes that we played, but... <laughs> I kept up, I didn't lose any golf balls, and I was hooked. So after that moment, I started going out with my dad pretty much every weekend and never stopped playing. Wow, good. So that's the power of invitation through your dad. And of the, gosh, about the 60 or 70 times I've asked this question to guests, that's the first Happy Gilmore reference we have ever had. (laughs) So there we go. So props to Happy Gilmore to inspire someone to immerse themselves in the game and the industry of golf. Good stuff. I'm proud to be the first for that one. Happy Gilmore is still one of my favorites. It is a good one. It is a good one. Between that and Caddyshack, it's a bit of a coin flip between uh, my two favorites. Yeah, Um, I couldn't pick a winner though. Those are two great movies. It is a It is a tie. Okay, going to ask you one more question here as a bit of an icebreaker, because as an entrepreneur, I've asked this quite a bit. It's like, who has inspired you as far as mentors or people that in your life in a very positive way? I'm going to flip this one around, and I've done this the last couple episodes. I've gotten some diverse and some crazy answers on this, so you're not prepared for this one, so I'm going to throw it at you here, Ryan. What was the worst job you've ever had in your life? may have lasted for a day. I know with mine, it was only one day. And what positive takeaways today that you take away from that bad job? That one's pretty easy. We had moved back to the States for high school and having lived in South Africa, the biggest issue was all of my friends lived really far away. There just wasn't as much to do. Couldn't really walk anywhere. You have to get driven everywhere. It's just a very different place. But in the States, everything's accessible. My friends are all nearby. But every time we wanted to do something like go bowling or go to a movie or whatever, it all costs money. When I was 14 in high school, I didn't have any money. Whatever my allowance was, wasn't enough. So I got a job when I was 14 at a place called Jerry's Subs and Pizza. I think I started getting paid like $4.85. If you were under 16, you had to get a work permit. And your parents had to sign it and they were able to pay you maybe even less than minimum wage because they're basically like, you're useless. (laughs) So $4.85 an hour. I was working like 15 to 20 hours a week while going to school and everything. So ironically, I got the job to make money so that I could go bowling and go to the movies and stuff. But once I started making money, I didn't have as much free time to do any of that because I was like, well, I should be working to make more money. Right, right. (laughs) So I did that. Anyone who's done sort of fast food type of job, it's exactly what you'd expect. 
cleaning the bathroom. It's basically doing the jobs no one else wants to do because you're the low man on the totem pole. Right, so right. It was a very humbling experience. It helped me realize that it is important to work hard, to show up on time, to work hard, to listen to your bosses, to get the job done, to do all those things. And it also showed me that I better get my shit together because I don't want to be doing this <laughs> for very long because it's, it's hard work. You count the minutes until the job's done every time. It's like, I want a job that I actually enjoy doing. It was a good lesson, but it was definitely a tough job. There we go. That was So you definitely thought, I need to stay in school. Stay in school, man. Stay in school. <laughs> All right. Good yeah. stuff. Let's fast forward a little bit here to when you and I first met at the PGA Show in Orlando, January 2019. So that's, gosh, almost four years ago now. So at the time, you had developed a product called Golf Scope. And the VR virtual reality market, especially in golf, a lot of people were coming up with different ideas with really not how to apply it or even more, not how to monetize it, as, as you know, because you're in this space and you're going to expand on this for us here, Ryan, in a second. There were different players. There was no universal agnostic headset and you had to place bets on which one you thought was going to be the one that was successful and designed for that one. So it was a bit of the Wild West combined with not really knowing how to unlock the value of this thing. So let's start there and even before. Tell us about how you got into the golf industry and how you then formed GolfScope and got involved in, in the virtual reality space. Yeah, for sure. So I started playing golf when I was 11 and just fell in love with it. Outside of that, I was also really into computers at a young age. So I learned how to start writing code when I was 13 and grew up at the time when the internet just started to blow up. So obviously my friends and I are exploring the internet and like building little web pages and downloading MP3s and burning CDs and stuff. And we think it's just so cool. So I was really into computers, really into golf. I didn't really expect the two to collide in any way. All right. When I was 12, I think I wanted to be a pro golfer because I started beating my dad really quickly, but I just didn't realize he's just not very good at golf. So it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't really a major accomplishment. I, I was on my high school golf team and started to play against some kids that were so much better than me. I yeah. mean, just like so much better. So by the time I was like 14 and had been playing golf for a few years and writing code for one year, I think I realized I would probably be a software engineer a lot safer of a bet. Got into writing code and like most kids my age that were writing code, it was all about just building games and then building websites and, and then just kind of exploring what you could do with a computer. And I got my computer science degree, graduated college, got a job and got into mobile development. I graduated the same year that the first iPhone came out yeah, in 2007. Yeah. And a year after that, they released the App Store. So the very first iPhone didn't even have an App Store, which I think a lot of people don't remember. It didn't even have copy and paste, the first iPhone. Uh, That's so right. It's, just, it's That's crazy. Right. It's just kind of amazing how far it's come. But I ended up starting my career right when the iPhone came out and immediately got into mobile development, not because I had any foresight into like how big it would be, but mostly because... I was competing against all of these other software engineers that had been working their entire careers and had decades of experience or at least years of experience. But as soon as mobile comes out, no one has any experience. Right. So suddenly this is the best way for me to get ahead because 
I've got just as much experience as anyone else does. One key difference is I'm willing to stay up all night and drink Red Bull and do whatever because I got no responsibilities yet. I, I wasn't married or had no kids, nothing like that. So I was just staying up late, writing code, exploring the mobile space, got a job at an agency, started building apps for some pretty small one-off apps. But very quickly, that agency started to get apps from like Audi and Google and Xerox and Verizon. And the company went from like 10 people to 300 people around 2010 to 2000. 13. All right. And I kind of witnessed the growth and was like, wow, this is really cool. This tiny company just kind of blew up and, and I got to see how it all went down. And then I decided to do, do my own thing. So I started my own mobile agency and actually built an augmented reality app that let you try on glasses. Mm -hmm. I worked with glasses.com on the project, I worked with them to build this technology long before people even knew what AR was. Right. We called it virtual try-on because AR wasn't really a term people were aware of. All right. We launched that in 2013. So it was way ahead of its time. It was really cool. It ended up getting acquired by Luxottica, who owns like Ray-Ban and Oakley. Right, right. Went and worked at another e-commerce startup. And then I kind of started to get the itch where I was like, you know what? I think I've got enough experience now that I think I can start my own thing. I think I know how to start a business. I've seen quite a few and now I just need an idea. I thought that augmented reality was going to blow up because we did the glasses app in 2013 and it was ahead of its time and it was really cool, but it was just too ahead of its time. Right. So I figured at some point AR is going to come back and then Apple releases this framework called AR Kit. They basically said now every single iPhone has access to AR and their framework was just like most things Apple does. It, it just worked really well. So I said, okay, I think there's going to be a gold rush for this AR Kit stuff. Can I come up with an app that uses AR to do something interesting? I don't want to come up with a gimmick. I want to come up with something that actually is useful, something that I would use myself. And I was playing around a golf and hitting some good shots, but not making very many putts. I thought I was hitting my lines, but I just wasn't reading the greens very well. And I wondered if I could use AR to read the greens, use the camera and, and this AR kit to create a 3D model of the green while you're standing there and show you a line from the ball to the hole. So I took a week off of work in late 2017, built a prototype that worked well enough to convince me that I thought technically it should be possible. So in beginning of 2018, I, I went full time and started Golf Scope and built this AR app that could read the greens for you. And, and then we met in 2019. We did. We did. Because at that time, yes, you were focused on exclusively on putting with what you were doing. And it's interesting because I, I was at the PGA show earlier this year, so January of 2022. And there was a couple of companies out there now that are in the space of uh, augmented reality there with glasses to be able to read the green. So that technology has definitely come a long way. And you were certainly the pioneer in that space, which is exciting. But you've, you've gone beyond that now. I don't know if you want to call it a pivot or a course correction or seeing a new opportunity. Where did you go? Because this always happens along the journey, no matter what space, what industry, what sector you're in as an entrepreneur and a startup product service experience. It comes to a point where it's like, well, do we persevere or do we pivot? 
what do we do here? And there's no playbook for this. Somebody's got to go with your gut. You have to look around or just make some hard decisions. So tell us about that inflection point there. Tell us about the next journey between, let's say, even when we saw each other in January 2019 and the next couple of years. How did you progress with the technology changing? So here, you tell us that that story here. What were the aha moments that revealed themselves that you refined, enhanced, and, and pivoted along your journey here? Yeah, it was really interesting because when we met at that PGA show, it was kind of the first time I'd had the opportunity to show the AR tech to a bunch of people in the golf space, right? Mm -hmm. I'd show people on the course and did a few things here and there, but that was the first time I got to go to the PGA show and actually show it to real people in, in the industry. And the majority of people were like, oh my God, I can't believe it actually works. And I'm like, why would I have released it if it didn't work? It just made it very clear very quickly that the amount of skepticism was going to be really hard to overcome. At that time, it was just really hard to get people to use it. So you're like standing on a green and you're about to hit your putt and you got to pull out your phone and walk from the ball to the hole. It only took 20 to 30 seconds, but it's just kind of socially awkward when you're playing with people. Yes. Not to mention it is 100% against the rules of golf. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a, a bit of a headwind. Even though it was a, a tool that I did find useful, I just kind of found even for myself when I would go play rounds, I started to struggle with using it every time because it, it just was a bit awkward. Right. And because of that, that time, I kind of realized that there's a lot of opportunity in golf technology. Going to the PGA show also just kind of showed me, one, how many businesses there are in the golf space. I mean, you go to that show and it's like thousands of booths, it feels like. So I thought, okay, there's still a huge opportunity in golf, not to discredit any of the people that are working hard on this stuff, but you look at some of the products out there and you look at some, especially the software out there. And you're like, I'm pretty sure this was built in like the nineties. There's an opportunity to bring some of this web 2.0 or mobile design that, that I had been so familiar with working with these fortune 500 apps. I was like, I feel like there's gotta be an opportunity to bring this stuff in and do something interesting. So I was still very committed to figuring out the golf space, but kind of knew that the AR, the golf scope app, that wasn't it. It just wasn't big enough. Right. And thankfully, later that year, Oculus released the first Oculus Quest in like mid-2019. Why don't you and describe that for our, our listeners if they're not familiar with headsets in this space? Because some yeah, people won't, it was a know. really big deal because I, I was actually a lot more excited about VR than AR even when starting Golfscope. But the problem with VR before the Quest was you had to connect it to a pretty powerful computer. Think of it as like a pretty big sort of ski goggles thing that you're wearing. Yeah sort of heavy, a bit uncomfortable. And it's got this cord that's coming out of it that's connecting you to a computer. And then you need a pretty big space just to kind of make use of it. So it was a really big ask to get consumers to opt into VR at the time. Right. But the Quest was such a big breakthrough because it was standalone, which means you don't need a computer. There's no cord. This device completely runs itself. It's like going from a corded phone to a, a cell phone. Huge difference. And people could bring it with them, bring it to a friend's house, like so much easier to demo. So I tried it for the first time and I was just blown away by how well it worked. I had low expectations because I had tried every VR headset and there was just so much friction getting them set up. And with the Quest, you just put it on and it worked and it was just magical. At that time, mid-2019, kind of knew that the AR golf scope, that business just wasn't going to go anywhere. It was just too hard to get people to use it. 
and changing user behavior, changing like people's behavior, that's a really scary proposition for any startup. It's really hard to change people's behavior. So if, if you run into an issue and people aren't doing it, that's a sign that maybe it's not quite right. I was already thinking, well, what else can we do in the golf space? The golf scope problem was not just creating a 3D green, but then also we had to build a physics model for how a golf ball rolls on the green at different stimps and everything like that. Because once you have the 3D green, you still have to predict how it's going to roll from the ball to the hole. I spent a lot of time building out this like putting physics model that felt very accurate. I wondered what would happen if we took that physics model and put it on the quest. And like one, could it even run? Is it even fast enough to run? And then two, does it actually feel like putting? I took a week and said, like, can I get this thing running? You can see what it feels like. I ended up having a 3D model of hole seven of Pebble Beach. I got a model. They had just played the US Open there. I took Tiger's four putts from the US Open, set them up so the flag's in the same spot. His starting putt was in the same spot. So you're like, I'm going to stand in the shoes of Tiger and hit his putts. After a week, I got the physics all working. You're standing on hole seven of Pebble Beach. You're able to hit Tiger's putts. And I took the controller which is just like sort of a handheld controller that weighs like a couple ounces. And I found a bike clamp and I clamped it to my putter. I was concerned that just holding this lightweight controller wouldn't feel like a real putter. So connected this thing to my putter for it to feel realistic. So now I'm holding my putter in VR. When I move my putter, I see the virtual putter moving nice. exactly the same, which in and of itself was kind of like an eye-opening moment. I got my virtual golf ball right there. The first putt I set up was about a 20-footer, a little bit uphill, a little left-to-right break. And I hit that first putt, and I put it six inches past the hole, just like burn the edge on the left. At that moment, I was like, wow, that felt exactly like hitting a putt. Nice. Like It was just kind of an immediate moment. So I go into work, and by now we have about four people working at the company. They're all golfers. And I show it to, to each of them, and I'm like, you got to try this. And every single person was like, this is insane. This is going to change putting. That moment was like, okay, you know what? We're just going to pivot 100% into VR. Wow. And that was, for context, just before COVID hit? Or what year was it, that? It was mid-2019. It was about nine months before COVID hit. Oh, okay. So it was only a very short time after you and I got to know each other first there in, in January yeah. 2019. We are now going to take a short break to tell you about something new from the Mod Golf Podcast. I'm excited to announce the launch of the Mod Golf Pro Shop where you, as part of our Mod Golf community, receive exclusive discounts on curated golf products that I love and support. We are partnering with DeWiz, Deuce, Kinona, Back to Basics Golf, Project 72 Golf, and Odin Golf to provide a curated selection of golf essentials to help you play better and look great while you're doing it. Use promo code MODGOLF for between 10 and 20% off your purchases to receive the best exclusive pricing that our partners offer. Go to www.modgolfpodcast.com to check out the golf gear that our fabulous brand partners are ready to deliver to your doorstep. That's the Mod Golf Pro Shop at www.modgolfpodcast.com. We also always talk about timing with startups and entrepreneurship, and it's been said by a lot of venture capitalists, they talk about what the ingredients for success are. Yes, you have to have a great product that can scale. You've got to have a great team. You've got to have, obviously, the financial ability to not run out of money to actually deliver this and the resources. 
And the main thing they say they've researched hundreds and hundreds of successful companies from Airbnb and Uber all the way down is about timing. And it sounds like with Golf Scope, the timing was a little bit early. And also you saw the usability and that friction that you actually had in the interface. It wasn't quite right. But it seems to me that with Golf Plus, not only do you come up with a great idea that can scale in a space that is frothy and with Web3 and what's going on with the metaverse and just that whole space evolving now, your timing's pretty darn good. So it sounds like where timing wasn't great before, perhaps, now you've managed to latch on to a speeding train and uh, away it go, which is <laughs> pretty darn exciting. Yeah, there's no way I could have predicted what the VR industry as a whole would do in early 2019, I, I don't think anybody was expecting VR to do what it's done over the last few years. The growth has been pretty incredible. If I hadn't started Golf Scope with the AR stuff and had this putting physics engine built, I don't think I would have had the confidence to just go directly into VR and try to build a golf game. So by sort of not getting the timing right and being forced to pivot, it kind of prepared us for getting the timing right. The whole idea of timing is, is one that I kind of struggle with. I think it undermines a lot of the success of startups, which often has more to do with perseverance. There's this kind of strong bias where there are a lot of startups that started at the right time and they didn't make it. And yes. it's easy to ignore them because no one's heard of them. So it's like you can easily ignore that group of people right, and say, right. well, look, all the companies that did make it started at the right time. And it's like, well, a lot of them that failed started at the right time too. I think it really does come down to perseverance and are you willing to pivot? Are you willing to adapt to information that you're getting that suggests maybe the, the V1 of what you're working on or even the V7 of what you're working on isn't quite right? And I think that's one of the things that we've done pretty well is continuously adapt because when we launched our original VR product, it was called ProPut and it was right. 100% putting. We pivoted and we added a Top Golf venue to it. So you could do putting and you could go to Top Golf, but you couldn't play a full round of golf yet. And then a year later, we ended up pivoting and now we're Golf Plus and now you can play full rounds of golf. And once we got to the full golf situation, that's when the company really started to grow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to back up there with one thing you talked about. You and I had a conversation about a year or so ago, a brief one with your partnership with Topgolf and how you went about making that happen. I just love the entrepreneurial hustle. If I hopefully I get this right, as you just said, you just created that Topgolf environment. You didn't ask for permission. You just did that. And then you approached them with that to say, hey, let's have a chat. And they were in. So I, I just love the fact that you just went for it and you never know what's going to happen. So that perseverance. So, so tell us about that the power of partnerships and how you can then create value for potential partners rather than just going to them going, Hey, how's it going? We're doing this thing. You actually were very intentional about that. So, so tell us about that. Decided to put the resources in and take a flyer and then approach Topgolf. And that seemed to work out very well as a validator for what you're doing. Yeah. So I'd say your, your recollection is right, but there is a prelude to that because once we got the putting working, pro putt working, initially our idea was like, let's build the best ever putt training tool. Like this is going to change how people practice putting and get better at putting. And we're going to go down that route. And again, we would find golfers to show it to. And before they tried it, they would just look at us like, what on earth? You want me to put on this headset and hold this putter with this thing attached to it? Like, this is ridiculous. What is going to happen? And then after they used it, they'd be like, oh my God, this is incredible. Where can I get one? 
I'm totally bought in. But it was another one of those situations where very quickly we realized this is going to be too hard to market. So we decided, okay, the putt training thing is going to be too hard to market. Everyone's giving us weird looks. After they try it, they like it, but it's hard to market a product that requires a demo. So we said, let's go the opposite direction. What's working in VR right now? It's games, right? Who's the best entertainment golf company in the world? It's Topgolf. Topgolf has created this amazing entertainment golf brand that is really cool and everybody loves and, and is doing really well. So we actually approached Topgolf before releasing ProPutt. And we showed them the, the kind of putting demo on hole seven. They thought it was cool, but they're like, look, we're not doing anything in the VR space. It's just not big enough yet. It's unproven. We don't know what to do with you guys right now, but we like what you're doing. So just like keep us posted. And then a couple weeks later, Oculus reached out to Topgolf and was like, hey, Topgolf, are you guys thinking about doing anything in the VR space? And they're like, well, no, but we know somebody that is that just showed us a cool golf thing. Why don't we introduce you to them? So Topgolf introduces us to Oculus. Ah, all right. We show Oculus this demo and Oculus is like, this is a cool demo, but look, if you can turn it into a game, we'll approve it for the store. They're like, right now, gaming is the only thing that's really working in VR. So like, if you can turn this into a putting game or whatever, a golf game, we'll approve it for the store. And we were like, oh yeah, of course. Like we were going to make a game anyway. <laughs> and you know, kind of, like, okay, well that made that clear. We should, we should go in the gaming direction, even though that wasn't our initial goal. We sort of come up with a brief, we send it over, Oculus is like, this is great, you're approved. And then we go back to Topgolf and we said, hey, Topgolf, we are now approved for the store. Thanks for the introduction. Would you guys like to partner with us so that we can put the Topgolf brand on this? It'll be no risk from your side. We'll license your brand. It'll be great for us because we'll come into the store with some credibility. Everybody loves Topgolf and uh, you guys don't have to take any risk building it. We'll pay for the whole thing. Thankfully, they, for whatever reason, we had no evidence to suggest they should bet on us, yeah. but, uh, but they did. So we got ProPutt out there and it's ProPutt by Topgolf. Right. That was like May of 2020. We said, we need to do something really big for the holidays because the Oculus Quest 2 was launching and we thought Christmas would be like a really big moment for VR. So that's when we went to Topgolf and we're like, hey, we really want to build a full Topgolf venue into ProPutt. And we want to rebrand it to Top Golf with Pro Putt instead of Pro Putt by Top Golf. So Top Golf will be front and center. We'll push this new Top Golf mode. We proposed that to them in late August, and we were saying we're going to get it done by mid November, which we did. But let me tell you, I think that's where most of these. Great yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure there were a few all nighters and lots of Red Bulls uh, over that endeavor. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I love this. The fact that you've really unlocked the power of partnerships or just seeing what's working and what trends and patterns are emerging rather than, and I've done this in the past early days in, in entrepreneurship when we first got started, is we fell in love with our product. And that's always such a hard thing because it's your baby and you want to protect it and want to make it shiny and beautiful. But sometimes you just have to hear that either A, your baby's ugly or you know what, you know, maybe you got to make another baby and that's okay. It's more than okay. It's what you need to do, which is so hard sometimes because you get so heavily immersed in these things that to actually step back and to see that there's other opportunities. And you managed to do that with Golf Scope. It sounds like in the middle of 2019, which is hard 
that whole perseverance thing. Maybe with golf scope, we just stick with it a little longer. The market will open up. The timing will be better. We already know so much, but you didn't. You took a deep breath and you stepped away and you pivoted into a different space. So, okay, let's keep progressing here now. So I understand with Golf Plus now, you've had users have hit over 500 million shots. That was when the, the Forbes article was written. Like, who knows, maybe it's double that now. Like, the numbers are <laughs> crazy. So it isn't like you're just some fringe thing that only a couple of people are, are out there playing. And apparently golf courses like Wolf Creek and Valhalla and many others. So you've really expanded. The question I'm going to ask you right now here is I'm always interested to know this because we get asked this from investors too. And I'm sure that Rory and Jordan and Tom and Steph and Mike ask you this too. How do you make money? So even when you first got into the app store with Topgolf, what was your your revenue model or your, your business model and your pricing model? Yeah, thankfully, when mobile first launched, initially apps were like a dollar, mm. right? You remember everything was like a dollar or two bucks or whatever. And there were just a bunch of little apps that were a dollar. And then eventually everything became free. And now like almost everything on mobile is free and then they make it up via subscription or in-app purchase or whatever. Well, VR is kind of in that mode as well, where the majority of apps out there right now are paid. They're one-time payment. It's, it's a lot like buying an Xbox game or a console game. So our game, when we launched it, was $20 for ProPut. You pay one time and you get access to the full game, which at the time I think was three nine-hole putting courses and the top golf mode and some practice mode. So it was a one-time payment and then you get all the content. Over time, as we moved to Golf Plus, we increased the price of the game to $30 because we have poured millions of dollars worth of development time into it. And it's a much bigger game now. But we also sell access to our premium courses for additional revenue. Right now, we have four courses that we charge for, which is, one of them is Wolf Creek. Another one is Kiowa. And we recently released Pinehurst Number 2 uh, and Pebble Beach. All right. Now we have four courses. We also announced we're partnered with the PGA Tour now, and we're actually the exclusive partner for VR. So for the next five years, the only way to play PGA Tour courses or have a PGA Tour VR experience is through Golf Plus, which is pretty exciting for us. And because of that, next year we'll be releasing quite a few PGA Tour courses. The goal is to do about one a month. We'll continue to sort of generate revenue via course sales, but we're also looking into other other methods. I only want to generate revenue by creating value for people. That's just the easiest way for me to understand what is money. Money is is a store of value. That's like how I look at it. So I want to make sure that whatever money we're making from our product is in exchange for value that we're creating for our players, right? Right. When you're a one-time payment app, I think the the value to money equation is not ideal because there's some people who buy the game for 30 bucks and they play a few hours, which is fine, which is great, about the same cost as like going to a movie. It's like not a bad deal. But then there are other people who over the last year have played for literally hundreds of hours mm. for that same $30. In my mind, I think in a perfect world, you're able to sort of monetize based on how much value you're creating. So if someone only plays the game for 30 minutes and they're like, well, that was enough for me, they shouldn't have to pay the same as someone who's paying it for 300 hours or whatever the case may be. So we're, we're going to continue experimenting with our business model to just like try to figure out what that balance is. And 
and really try to set it up so that the people who really like it and keep playing it, we're able to add more value to them and they're able to purchase things that create more value, new courses, more clubs, stuff like that, training. And then the people who just want to try it, we want to bring the price of the game down as much as possible so that more people get the chance to experience it and then hopefully fall in love with it and then ultimately spend money over time. Yeah, yeah. So are you starting to uh, incorporate more of that game theory into it now as far as leveling up rewards and delighters, creating that stickiness and that traction that the more people play, the more they can unlock as they manage to move up through the levels? Sounds like that's where you're going, taking that tried and true gaming ability to keep people engaged. Two more questions here to finish up before we jump over to our video chat, where we'll be able to show some visuals over there. I can see right behind you actually have a headset with the Golf Plus brand on it. I'd love to have you show that off in our video on our YouTube channel. So I do encourage our listeners to jump over there afterwards. And I will include the link to our YouTube video in the show notes to this podcast episode. Yeah, the two questions I want to ask you here is as far as the size of the market, you mentioned again with Golfscope, you saw very early on that it really wasn't big enough and the onboarding was difficult. And then even at the beginning with Golf Plus, if you used it as a high-end elite level performance tool, it was slow to get people on the platform. And also the market is probably on a smaller size. But the entertainment side, as you learn from Top Golf and what we've learned over the years, is like 10x, 20x, 50x bigger, if not even bigger than that. That's where the real opportunity is. So what have you learned about demographics, first of all? Let's start with the number of Oculus headsets that are now in 2022 in the U.S. How many people own them and what is that compared to, let's say, the last couple of years and how is that trending? Talk about that as far as the number of potential users that are out there for you right now in 2022. They haven't announced any official numbers. So these are all estimates and I'll just give ranges because we don't know the exact number. But when the Quest launched in 2019, obviously it started at zero. Right. A year later, when we launched ProPut in mid-2020, our best guess is there were maybe 1 million, maybe 1 to 2 million headsets in existence. At this time right now, what we've seen is we think they're probably between 15 to 20 million. 15 to 20 million. And what is the price point compared to the day that they launched to what a headset costs now? So they launched, the Quest 1 was $400. Mm. When they launched the Quest 2, it was actually $300 originally, which was amazing. It was better hardware and they dropped the price, which was huge. This last year in August, they raised the price back to $400 for the Quest 2. But now over the holidays, you can get one for $349 American dollars, and it comes with two games that would normally cost you $60. Right, right. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, that's always that convergence that you want, the number of users out there, and then the value that's created there by the price going down just to even get more and more people on. And over time, you would think that uh, the technology gets better, the experience improves, and the price keeps going down. So the size of your market should continue to grow. Uh, the other piece to my question too, more on the demographic side. So you've said there's about 20 million or so headsets out there. Do you have any idea, at least with your users or with uh, with Oculus headsets alone, what is the average demographic? Men or women or boys and girls, like the percentage of that and the average age? So we see our demographics. We've talked to other developers too. So we have a pretty good idea what the average looks like across the whole ecosystem. But our average is about 35 is the middle of the bell curve for us. And it's about 80-20 male to female. 
Wii quite a bit older than most of VR. I think VR's average is closer to 25 yeah. for all the experiences. I think it's similar to 80-20. I don't know the exact the male to female ratio. Compared to golf, we skew quite a bit younger, right? Yeah. As you would expect. So average golfers, not 35, but our average player is 35. So we're young for golf, but we're old for VR. So we're kind of in this interesting middle spot. Yeah. Last question I want to finish up here before we jump over to YouTube. What are you finding with the skill level of the golfers, people that are gravitating, the ones that are even playing more? I know back in the day playing on the original Wii, you didn't even need to have a good golf swing. It didn't really matter. Playing a game like Golf Clash or Golf Rival with my thumb, you don't have to have a golf swing at all. So what you talked earlier on, being able to connect your real putter for a putting experience when you started with Golf Plus, does that continue on with the actual golf clubs? I guess my question is, do you have to have a good golf swing in order to be successful in your virtual reality environment with Golf Plus? So you do not have to have a good golf swing, but it definitely helps. Mm. So in our game, you are swinging a controller and it does require the same motion as, as a normal golf swing. From pretty early on, we were demoing it to people. One of the great things, but also one of the challenges of real life golf is how hard it is. Yeah. Uh, it's a really hard game for someone who isn't comfortable swinging. It's very intimidating to pick up a club and it's really frustrating if you can't hit it forward every time. We initially built out a version where it was like kind of one-to-one. It's like if your face is open, ball's going right, you're going to slice like all the trouble you can get into in real life. We're going to try to capture in here because we want it to be very realistic. We showed it to people and those who liked golf were like, oh, this is great. Like it does what I want it to do. But people who were not into golf were like, well, this kind of sucks. It's actually a little too much like golf. This is part of why I don't play golf in real life because I do want to get the ball to go straight, but I don't know how. So we ended up creating a few difficulty modes. One is called pro mode. On pro mode, we give you no assistance. If the face is open, ball's going right yeah. exactly as you'd expect. Another version is called amateur mode. And then our, our easiest mode is called novice. So on novice and amateur, before you hit every shot, there's a shot target. You can tell us where you want the ball to go. Very similar to Golf Clash or Tiger Woods Xbox game or whatever. It's like, this is my target. This is where I want the ball to go. And you can move that around to be wherever you want to move it closer or further. But you're telling us this is, this is what I want the ball to do. Because you're telling us that, as soon as you hit the ball in real time, immediately, we're able to see where that shot would have gone just based on your swing versus where you told us you wanted to go. And on novice mode, we change the trajectory to be a lot closer to where you told us you wanted it to go. And then on amateur, we do the same, but to a lesser degree. Right. On novice, you can feel exactly what it's like to be a PGA pro because the ball is going to go very close to where you told us you wanted to go every time. On amateur, it's more like feeling what it's like to be a uh, 15 handicap or something like that, right? It's going to help a bit, but you're still not shooting under par. And then on pro mode, if you haven't put in a lot of practice, it's going to be brutal. You're going to, you're going to struggle <laughs> yeah. just the same way you do in real life. So we have those three difficulties. And because of that, it allows players to adapt. So we ask a question right when you get in, do you play golf? What do you normally shoot? And there's a significant correlation between people who are good at golf and people who are good at our game. Gotcha. So as a 16 handicapper myself, I guess I should not be playing pro mode. Otherwise, I'm going to be very frustrated very quickly. 
Yeah, I mean, it just depends on, yeah, if you're like a lot of us golfers and you're a masochist, then you might enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> well, but amateur might be the way to go. Yeah, just like in real life, I will not play from the tips, even if I'm playing with guys that are scratch. It's like, you know what? I don't need to play from 7,200 yards. So I don't even want to like 67. It's my happy place is anywhere between uh, 6,000 and, and 6,500 yards. That's, that's where I'm happy playing. Any, any, more, right any more than that, me. I'm kind of miserable. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And not, and not breaking 100. Yeah, playing from the right tees, I think, is, is absolutely critical. One of the nice things about our game is we do let pretty much everyone hit 300-yard drives. So we do measure your club head speed. Yeah, yeah. But because the controller is so much lighter, it's very easy to have, like, literally a 300-mile-an-hour club head speed by just flicking your wrist, right? Yeah, yeah. So we kind of cap each club. But even a kid can see what it's like to hit a 300-yard drive. So... That also, I think, helps a lot of our players recognize that even if you could hit 300-yard drives, it's not just the distance that's killing you. It's usually the short game, which is like racking up the score. Yeah, that's right. Well, just like real life. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I could keep going here. I'm going to hold off on the future of Golf Plus and what's transpired the last six months. So we haven't talked at all about the investors that you have as household names that we touched on earlier. And also, I'm hoping that you can give us a little bit of a demo, the best that you can, or at least uh, what you can show us there, because uh, we will have a visual medium there on, on YouTube. So let's hold off on that. But before we go, anyone that's interested, I know this is going to be released just into the new year in January. So not time for the Christmas season to actually buy a Golf Plus or perhaps a new uh, a new headset. But hey, why don't you tell everyone here where they can learn more about Golf Plus, where they can go to download Maybe they've just bought an Oculus or thinking about it. So yeah, tell us all that where they can learn more about all the good things that you're doing there, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. The best spot is just golfplusvr.com, all spelled out. And we have a link to the store there. Right now we're only available. It, it was Oculus. Now it's called the MetaQuest, but still same parent company. And also if you just go to the MetaQuest store because you already have a headset and you search for golf, Golf Plus will show up. The plus is is just the plus character. Yep. So just Golf Plus. Also, if you just search Google for VR Golf, we should be the, the top result. Good stuff. Well, as I always do, I will include all the links to what you just mentioned there in the show notes. Make it nice and easy for our listeners to find you there. So, hey, are you going to be at the PGA show this year in, in January? Unfortunately, I will not be this year. We decided to book a company trip to go to Casa de Campo in the Dominican Republic nice. to celebrate with the team. So we'll probably be playing uh, Teeth of the Dog that day. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. So we won't have a chance to meet up there, but I've yet to be. I spent a lot of time in Texas pre-COVID, but I haven't been to Austin yet. Uh, so perhaps I need to come down and hang out with you. Spend Please a little... let me know if you do. We'd love to show you the office. There we go. Spend a little time. That would be fun. Good stuff. All right. Ryan Engel, founder and CEO at Golf Plus. It's good to catch up to you with you again, my friend. This has been this has been great. And looking forward to uh, jumping on over to YouTube for a conversation there. So, hey, Ryan, look forward to seeing you very soon in 2023. And thanks for joining me today again on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks, Colin. Really appreciate it. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.